morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm really uh, pleased that we're able to do a switch with Rich going to Bushill Park and, and me being able to come and visit you here. Uh, Lionsdown is a church I've known about and been praying for for many years, uh, as I've seen people come and go through, uh, as well as getting to know Rich as he's settled into the work here. Um, as we come to God's Word this morning, why don't we pray? We need God's help to understand what it's teaching us. Uh, so let's come to him now in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, you are a God who speaks to us through your word. And so we pray this morning, please open our eyes and our minds and our hearts that we might understand the wonders of your word and be transformed by the power of your spirit to be more like your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm afraid there's no talk notes this morning. That's uh, one of the disadvantages of having a visiting speaker. Uh, but I'm sure you'll be able to follow along as we work our way through the passage. I want to begin by asking you a question. Are you the kind of person who finds it easy to stay on track when things get busy? I need to confess, I'm a bit of a procrastinator myself. I might be in the middle of something that is very urgent and requires my full time and attention, and yet somehow I'll always find something else that I can just add on to my to-do list uh, so that I can tick it off and say it's done. I, I, I'm that kind of person. It doesn't matter. Even if the deadline is coming, I'll find something else to do. And I know that it's a distraction, and I know that it's going to prevent me from doing the real task that is at hand. But for some reason, I just find it easier rather than keeping the main thing the main thing. Now, a church like Lions Down will always have plenty going on, won't it? There's services on a Sunday, there's Bible study groups, there's midweek toddler groups, there's prayer meetings, there's newcomers meetings, there's ministry training, there's outreach events. All these things are wonderful. Then you throw into a church life the complexities of a new building project, as wonderful as that is, and the fact that there are only 43 days until Christmas. Suddenly, the church calendar in the next month or so is going to be stuffed full, isn't it? We're all going to be busy uh, with church and with life. And so we want to ask this morning, how do we as a church make sure that in all the, this activity, we don't get distracted from the priorities that God wants us to have as his people? How do we make sure we keep the main thing the main thing? Well, ultimately, it has to be that we keep looking to God's word to avoid making too much of the good things we could do instead of the good things we must do. As we open up Psalm 95 this morning, we're going to hear the call of God's word to his people. Uh, to use the language of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we're going to be reminded that our chief end as human beings, our primary goal and purpose, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what we're to be about. And in particular, the psalmist calls us to recognize three distinct ways that we can glorify God as his people. And so if you're making notes, here is the first one. It's our rejoicing. That's verses 1 to 5 of this passage. Our rejoicing. 
That is where we begin in our quest to glorify God. Look at verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. If you've ever wondered why God's people sing in church services and when we gather together, well, ultimately, it's because of verses like this. God commands us in his word to sing his praises. And these opening verses really help us get to grips with what worship fit for our king should be. God's people are called to sing and make a joyful noise. When we approach God's throne, we are to lift him up with songs of praise. It's all about making God known as the great and wonderful king that he is. And this is not just something that was to be done in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, in the temple worship. It is a practice that is affirmed in the New Testament as well. Uh, Colossians 3.16 shows that when God's people gather together, singing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs is part of what we do together. And so it is appropriate that our singing, our praise to God, is connected to our emotional response to God as well. God is the rock of our salvation. And there is to be joy and thanksgiving when we think of all that God has done for us, of who he is. Our response to that is to be making joyful noise. I wonder what you make of that call to expressive action. Are we prepared this morning to do what God's word commands us to? I'd imagine in a room like this, there are some of us who hear a call to joyful noise and you know, we're sort of wringing our hands because we find it quite difficult to express our emotions in public. That's just not how we're wired. We inwardly cringe at the idea that somebody might go a bit over the top, be a bit too expressive, a bit too emotional. And secretly, we would be a lot more joyful if there was a little less noise. Or perhaps that's not you at all. Perhaps actually you're the kind of person who finds yourself having to sort of shove your hands in your pockets when uh, we're having a time of praise because you're worried that you might be judged for being a bit too exuberant. And so the safest place for your hands is buried deep in the pockets because then no one will notice if you start moving and expressing yourself too much. Now, I'm not saying that this passage calls us to have a personality transplant and, and suddenly we start acting like people that we aren't. But I do want to challenge us this morning, as God's word calls us to make a joyful noise, to come into God's presence with thanksgiving, to, to offer him songs of praise, are we able to express that fully? Does the joy and thanksgiving that we have to God for all that he's done come out in its fullest expression? You see, we need to recognize if we are able to ex express those emotions in other areas of our life, you know, like when we're watching the football or, or when Strictly's on on a Saturday night, and we're able to get really excited about that and joyful when our team wins, 
but we can't express those emotions to the rock of our salvation, then we have a serious problem, don't we? God's Word calls us to make a joyful noise. We need to be prepared to glorify Him. And just look again at the reasons the psalm gives us for this enthusiastic singing. Verses 3 to 5. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also, the sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. The source of our joy as believers is found in the knowledge that the Lord, the rock of our salvation, He is ruler of all. We heard that in the the children's talk earlier, didn't we? He has dominion that lasts forever. The universal scale of His greatness surpasses anyone and anything else. This is no local deity we're talking about. He is the God of the universe. And so, from the deepest cavern in the earth to the highest mountain and everything in between, it all belongs to Him. From the chaotic forces of the sea to the safety of dry land, it is all under His hands. Wherever you go, God is in control. You know, we often teach children to sing, don't we? He's got the whole world in his hands. It's not just children who need to grasp that truth. It's us this morning. God is in control. And knowing who he is and what he's done for us as his people, that should be the supreme motivation, shouldn't it? For us to offer our praise and adoration The Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. This world is in His hands, and He is the rock of our salvation. God is worthy to receive all the glory. Now imagine for a second what your response would be if somebody saved your life when you were drowning at a beach. You know, you'd gone in for a swim in the summer, love a trip to the beach, but you started to drown, and somebody pulled you out. Uh, or another situation. Imagine you were, you were made homeless suddenly and you had nowhere to live, nowhere to sleep, and somebody took you in and gave you a home and cared for you. What would your response be to that person who had rescued you or, or that person who had given you refuge? Do you think you would keep your emotions bottled up inside just in case someone thought you were being a little bit over the top? Of course not. Our joy and our thankfulness in those situations where we've been rescued and given refuge, it would flow out from us, wouldn't it? You couldn't keep it in. You'd be telling anyone who would listen how wonderful this person is that's helped you and saved you in your hour of need. So take a moment to dwell on what the Lord God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the cross of Christ, we have been rescued from a fate worse than death by drowning. We've been rescued from the penalty for our sin. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been given refuge, a home, a family, an eternal dwelling place. How much more enthusiastically should we be making a joyful noise to God because of all that he's done for us, the rock of our salvation. We can glorify God 
by our rejoicing. Secondly, though, uh, the psalm continues, verses 6 and 7, our reverence, our reverence for God is something which can glorify him too. You see, we need to recognize, don't we, that that worshipping God, giving him glory and praise, is much, much more than just making a joyful noise to the Lord. People can very easily deceive themselves into thinking, as long as our singing is passionate and enthusiastic, then tick, that's it, job done. We're giving God the glory. But the reality is, our attitude may still be anything but rejoicing as we come to God. That's why the psalm encourages us to move on and and think about our reverence for the Lord. Look at verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are his people, the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. People sometimes say, don't they, actions speak louder than words. So I wonder how you feel about being called to worship God with these kind of actions. Bowing. Kneeling. If we're honest, I don't know that we find that particularly appealing. See, we live in a world where the person who matters most is... Me. I'm the center of the universe. I'm the most important person in my life. I am number one. And the greatest sin, we are told, is if we're not true to ourselves. The world tells me I should bow to no one. Now, obviously, if you guys have come in this morning and I've been stood at the front expecting you all to come and kneel before me before I preach to you, that would have been wildly inappropriate, wouldn't it? I think you'd probably have kicked me out before I got started if I'd have done that. And we do need to recognize, don't we, as believers, our relationship with one another is one of equals. We are all sinners saved by grace through the death of the Lord Jesus. There is no sense we can lord it over one another. It would be wrong for us to be kneeling and showing you know, that kind of respect and honor to one another as if one person deserved it more than the other. But our desire to be equals together in church shouldn't make us think that we are somehow equals with God. Of course not. We've already seen he is our maker. We owe him everything we have. Our very life and breath comes from him. It's to him alone the glory deserves to go. And this ought to humble us before the Lord, mustn't it? Cause us to recognize he alone deserves our honor and respect and gratitude for everything that he's done for us. We should kneel before the Lord our maker. We should worship and bow down. Remembering who God is will also make sure that our reverence for the Lord isn't just this kind of impersonal, mechanical uh, ritual that we unthinkingly go through week by week. There are a surprising number of people in our nation who seem content to attend church services and go through the motions, but who have no personal living relationship with the Lord himself. And that is not true reverence. You can sit here this morning and say all the words that appeared on the screen that that we've all said. 
And yet, if in your heart you have not set apart Christ as Lord, you are not showing true reverence. Look at what verse 7 says. He is our God. We are his people, the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. That is a close and intimate relationship that we have. Think about the privileges we have as God's people. Our God is committed to provide for us, to care for us. He's like a shepherd watching over his sheep to protect them and help them. He watches over each of us. Those are characteristics that are truly worthy of respect, aren't they? And so if we've truly experienced the love and care that is given by Jesus, the good shepherd, we should be fully invested in showing him the appropriate reverence. He is our shepherd. We are his people. We are called to glorify God by our reverence to him. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, is that really our attitude towards God as a church family? Showing God reverence is more than just you know, adjusting our physical posture in worship, although that is perhaps one, one application of these verses. Maybe at times it is appropriate to kneel before the Lord, literally. But we need to examine, first and foremost, our hearts before the Lord as we come before our Maker. And we need to ask ourselves, do we buy into the world's thinking too much? Are we still thinking, I'm number one. I call the shots. I'm in charge. Just think about these questions. Who should always come first in our thinking? Is it me, or is it the Lord? Who should always get what they deserve? Is it me, or is it the Lord? Who gets to call the shots in my life? Is it me, or is it the Lord? This psalm calls us to reset our perspective. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. We can glorify him with our reverence. One last thing for us to see uh, from this psalm, and it's in uh, verses 7, at the end of verse 7 to verse 11. And it is our response to his word. It's helpful for us to remember, as we've been thinking about uh, Jesus as the good shepherd. We, you know, we're the people of his pasture. Jesus the good shepherd. What does he say in John 10, verses 14 uh, through to 16? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And later he goes on to say, they will listen to my voice. If God is our shepherd, if Jesus is the good shepherd, one of the ways we glorify him is by listening to his voice. Look at the end of verse 7 there. Today, if you hear his voice. Our worship, our, our glorifying God cannot simply be in our lips or in our hearts. We must also glorify God in our actions as we hear 
and obey God's word. The New Testament applies it in that way too. We are not just to be people who are hearers of the word, but doers also. And I think as we come to this part of the psalm this morning, if we're really being honest, this is probably the part that we are going to struggle to glorify God as we should. You see, it's easy to to glorify God when there's music and a song to join in with. It's easy to be carried along when we're with other people. And most of us have the humility to recognize, yes, God is bigger and greater than I am. But when it comes to the fine details of listening to God's commands and actually obeying them, there's any number of obstacles, isn't there? We conveniently forget what God has said. We close our Bibles and and choose to ignore what God is saying. We don't read them because we're worried it might tell us something we don't want to hear. Maybe even we read what God's Word says and then we come up with reasons to justify why, well, that doesn't really apply to me. Not in this situation. I'm the exception to the rule. But the book of Hebrews makes clear, doesn't it? These verses are addressed to us today. The reading we had from Hebrews chapter 3 was written to the church and it was applying the words of Psalm 95 and the situation of what what had got on. These are words we need to hear as the Spirit speaks to us today. Now don't be put off by the the challenging tone of these final verses. The Lord is giving us a warning so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the people of his past. Look at verse 8 of Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Now, I know you guys are working through Exodus with Rich, and don't want to give you too many spoilers here, but when you get to Exodus 17, you'll find out the full story of Massa and Meribah. But to summarize, uh, there's going to be a few spoilers here, so just, just to warn you, no sooner had the Lord rescued his people out of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, they began to quarrel. They began to quarrel about the lack of water. They put God to the test, refusing to believe his words. And there is a real shock to that story because these are the people who have witnessed the plagues, who have witnessed the miraculous rescue through the Red Sea. They've seen God at work in all his power for salvation. And they immediately doubt that he is able to do a little thing like provide them drinking water. That is shocking, isn't it? To think that somebody could receive God's mercy in such an amazing way and then immediately turn their backs on him. But it becomes more serious as we read verse 10. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The consequence of the people's failure to listen to the Lord and obey his command was that they faced his anger, his wrath for their actions. 
They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and they were not permitted to enter the promised land. They forfeited the rest that was offered to the people of his pasture. And perhaps one level more shocking still, Numbers 20 tells us that that at the end of these wanderings, even Moses failed to listen to the voice of God. Instead of trusting the voice of the Lord and obeying his command, Moses, the leader of God's people, did his own thing and agonizingly forfeited his chance to enter God's rest in the promised land. If we think that's bad, then we need to realize the New Testament tells us that there is something far, far worse. Our reading from Hebrews 3 makes it absolutely clear. Those who harden their hearts in the wilderness and turn their backs on the living God, they are nothing compared to those who harden their hearts today and turn their backs on the Lord Jesus. You see, the promise of God's rest is greater than just a home in a physical land here on earth. In Christ, we are offered the complete rest of God's finished work of salvation. Hebrews chapter 2 puts it in this way. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Sometimes, we need serious warnings to shock us into action, don't we? And perhaps today, as we've read those verses, as we've been reminded of the story of God's people in history, how they missed out on the rest of the promised land, perhaps the reminder of God's judgment on those who fail to respond to his voice is exactly what we need to provoke a response. If you are here this morning and you are one of the Lord's rescued people, then listen to his voice. Hear his call. And respond in obedience to his word. Make it your aim to obey his commands by the power of the Spirit. And remember that that obedient response is one that brings God glory every single day as you live in the way that Jesus has commanded us to live as his people. Day by day, we're giving him the glory he deserves. The challenge of this passage is yes, to glorify God in our rejoicing and yes, to glorify God in our reverence of him. But we also need to make sure we glorify God in our response to his word. Let's pray that that would be the case for each of us in the coming week. Heavenly Father, you are a great God. You are the great king above all gods. The world is yours. You made it. And we are your people. You deserve our honor and glory and praise. And so we ask this morning, please be at work in us by your spirit.
that our response to your words would be one of obedience. That our hearts would be ones that are reverent before you. That we would be people who make a joyful noise because of all that you've done. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.